Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. Well, it's great to see all of you out on this first week of fall break. Uh, We have the privilege here ministering to three or more school districts, and fall break begins for several of those districts today. And for the next three weeks, we're going to have families in and out uh, enjoying this beautiful fall that we've been given. But it's great to see each of you. Well, this weekend, we turn to the subject of lessons learned. Lessons learned in the area of relationships. Now, this subject of relationships is a very broad one. It's one, in fact, that we could spend an entire series on, which we have in the past. But this weekend, I want us to look at the very foundation on which we build on which we build relationships. And so we're going to look two places today. James chapter 4, towards the back of your Bible, if you want to find your way there. James chapter 4. And then the lesson, the particular lesson that we get from Solomon this weekend is in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Now while we're doing that, while we're finding our place, there's a couple things I want to celebrate. First of all, this is our second week in 15 years, our our second week in 15 years that all of our children uh, clubhouse age are downstairs for the entire service. And I've got to tell you, I miss having my youngest with me. For 15 years, I've had one of my two girls with me. I'm grateful my oldest came and sat with me this morning, so I'm not all alone up here. But great things are going on downstairs. Some of you adults have spent last weekend, we've got a whole other family down there this weekend teaching them about communion and, and giving, and they've got their time of worship and great time of teaching. So thank you for working with us to make that adjustment, and things, things are going great. Also, congratulations this morning to Scott Shireman. Scott's sitting right over here, 30 years of sobriety uh, this weekend. <clears throat> And, and we celebrate those milestones here in people's lives. That's significant. I'm about 15 years, 16 years into recovery myself, recovering from being a Pharisee, as many of us become at some journey in our walk with Christ. And it's because of guys like you that I've understood better the grace that I have in my life. And I thank you for your example. Speaking of grace, we've got a couple of 50-year-olds in the room today that weren't two days ago. Uh, one, one of them sitting back there in the back, I'd ask him to stand up, but you still wouldn't see him. But uh, <laughs> Earl, Earl Carroll back there in the back, and then uh, there's another one back here that I think is lying. I think he's really 60. But Troy, congratulations. Happy 50th birthday to you guys back there. And then it's great to see the Hines family. If you were here at the very beginning with us, they used to take up three rows right down front. And I know Eileen is thrilled to have you guys and the grandbabies that are coming along and that have already had to go out. They're, they're Hines is through and through, noisy the whole time. But it's great, it's great to have you guys. Well, if you go back and you read the accounts of Solomon's life, uh, in First Kings, you'll, you'll see the story of his life. And, and if you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon was a king of Israel. He was David's son, David, the king of Israel. And Solomon was given a special, a unique opportunity. Uh, God came to Solomon at the beginning of his reign, and he said, 
ask me for anything, anything. Now, I could think of several things that I would ask for. But Solomon asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom to lead this kingdom that God had placed under his lead, God blessed him not just with wisdom, but with wealth, with land, with animals. He provided for him in every way. But one of the things that Solomon messed up on is he had all of this wisdom, but he failed to apply it to the everyday situations in life. And one of those significant failures is in the area of relationships. In fact, he summarizes his relationship journey after having a thousand wives. Now, I'm not kidding. The Bible says he had a thousand wives. And he summarizes his mistake this way. He said, a man of many companions may come to ruin. And 1 Kings eleven four 4 describes the ruin. As Solomon grew old, Scripture says, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to his God. Many, God of many, uh, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but he goes on and says, but there is a friend. And the key word there is a, there is a friend. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In one sentence, Solomon summarizes this lesson on relationships, and that is relationships matter. Relationships are a significant part of our life. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning, this quality of God's nature is revealed to us in the very beginning of Scripture. We are relational beings created in the image of a relational God. Remember back at the very beginning of creation, when God spoke and he said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who's the our? Who's the us? Well, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, three in one, a God who is relational at the very core of who he is. And then in Genesis 2, after creating man, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And Paul Hines' wife, Valerie, says amen. She can't leave him alone for any time at all. But this was more than an apologetic for marriage. This is speaking of the need for life-giving relationships for every one of us as humans, as mankind. We are relational beings made in the image of a relational God. Now, last night was easier because we had a whole lot of young people. I don't know what happened. You guys just aged overnight. <clears throat> But remember back with me, remember back, those of you who went to school, maybe in a one-room schoolhouse, a couple of you, but most of us, whether we were in private school or public school, even home school, remember those first few years being assigned to a table for lunch, right? Uh, when you're young, you, you get assigned to a table with your classmates, and, and part of that is part of our development, how, how to develop relationships, even though they don't want you to talk. I mean, I, lunch ladies have this reputation, right? How, how do you keep a kindergartner from talking at lunch? 
But you can't talk, you gotta sit there and eat. But then as we get older, as we get into middle school, we realize what a blessing that was to have our lunch table defined for us. Because now that we're in middle school, what do we do? We walk through the whole lunchroom looking for our eyes to meet with someone to say, here, sit at my table. Now, if you're like me, I walked around the whole lunch period. Everybody just looked down while I'd go by. <laughs> and there are multiple types of tables, right? There, there's the, the popular table where everybody longs to one day be able to sit. And then you've got the guys like me, the loner table, right? Where everybody kind of finds a seat, you know, because nobody will accept them at their table, so you end up with a bunch of people at, at one table, but we look straight ahead. We keep our eyes down on the plate, right? And then you've got the, the go-off-alone romance table, right? With the boyfriend and girlfriend sitting over there, staring in each other's eyes, holding hands, pawing each other, right? And then they come home hungry at the end of the school day because they couldn't eat their lunch. But, but you know, you got the geek table that Brandon sat. You, you got all of these, <laughs> all these different tables, right? You got all these different tables. So what table do you sit at today? Who do you invite to sit at your table? You see, we've all chosen people to share life with. People who have stuck with us through the good and, and the bad. People who have come in and out of our life and, and back again. Who have experienced seasons of life with us. Adding some positive things to us. But, but also having some very negative influence on us as well. Here Solomon says that we need to give considerable thought to who we allow in our relationship circle. My wife said this a couple of years ago to me. She came home and she said, David, so-and-so will not be sitting at my table anymore. And it was so profound, reminding me of something that I wish I had done or learned to do early on in life. And that is she decides who sits at her table. She decides who speaks into her life. And many of us would do well, would do well to do the same. And this is where Solomon leads us first. Choose wisely. Choose wisely who you will allow to speak into your life. Choose wisely. Who sits at your table is important because their influence is significant. Choose wisely those you consider companions. Solomon says, I've learned that having a full table isn't always a good thing. Having many companions, in fact, there's a great deal of hardship that comes along with that. There's, there's a lot of disappointment. There's brokenness and ruin that can come from this. And we all know what he's talking about. Relationships fall into to three different categories. Now, I know these are broad, and, and some of you are going to want to argue with me, but just stick with me and let me explain. And it makes sense. The first category is that of familial relationships. Brandon, I, I came up with familial for you. It's kind of a big word. We don't use it very often. Familial, family. Family 
relationships. These are the relationships that God designed when he created the family, right? We have birth parents. We have adoptive parents. We have grandparents. We have children. We have adoptive children, blended families, Aunt Karens and Uncle Eddies in our families. And each one of these relationships comes with a relationship plan laid out by God, right? Ch children, for example. Children are to obey their parents. We are dependent on our parents from birth. Parents are to clothe us, feed us, teach us, train us, discipline us. Parents are to teach us about God and point us to him. We, as children, are to listen to learn from, be grateful for, speak appropriately to. We are to obey our parents. We as children, we sit at our parents' table. Parents provide a place for us there, and we are to plant ourselves there during the formative years of our life. We don't get to choose our parents. And to some degree, parents don't get to choose us. I mean, just to think about the surprises that many of us have experienced as those little ones come into the world. And even though we like to say to adoptive children, we chose you. Well, yes, that's true. But you don't always know what you're getting in that package. Many of us are surprised by that. But that person now has a place at your table as parents. Now, we could spend the whole time talking about familial relationships. But here, I think Solomon is speaking to the individual relationships that we choose to enter into, such as acquaintances and friendships. Now, we often mistake one for the other. And this is where you're going to want to split hairs with me. Acquaintances. Acquaintances are people we meet at school. Now, now just the word acquaintance, right? It makes you it makes you think of a relationship that's just in passing. Right, right. We're an acquaintance because we met each other at GE or, or wherever we work. But I submit to you that acquaintances are much more than that. Acquaintances. Acquaintances are people we meet at school people we cheer with at the, the ballpark, right? Whose kid isn't as good as ours, but they're out there thinking that they are. We, we were at a soccer game up at Henryville this past week. Soccer is Henryville's version of football, isn't it? Right? And so we were, I'm surprised somebody didn't jump out of the balcony up there filming us. <laughs> but we were up there at a game, and there was this, I guess she was one of the mothers here in the crowd, and I mean, she was louder than the coach. And I just looked over at Sarah. I just spoke the truth. I said, she one of the coaches? And Sarah about clobbered me. Don't, don't say that out loud. You'll get shot. <laughs> Acquaintances are people at the, the ballpark. Acquaintances are people that we camp with. Right? We, we spend weekends with camping and eating together and sharing together. Acquaintances are people we, we go to church with people that we connect with on social media. Acquaintances are great to have. 
acquaintances encourage us by sharing life with us. Some of the best times of life are spent with acquaintances, interesting adventures, common groups and interests. But here's the point. Not all acquaintances are friends. And we even want to divide down friends. And this is where we split hairs. We want to say, oh, there's just these... uh, there, there's just these casual friends, and then there's really the, the friend friends, right? You got the, uh, well, I better not go there. I, 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 try, I keep trying to come up with an acronym for this BFF, right? Best friends forever, but I keep coming up with words I can't say. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Not all acquaintances are friends. And, and for today, I want you to see the difference between an acquaintance and a friend. Quit trying to water down friendship because friendship is way up here. And if we're blessed and if we make good choices, we're fortunate to just have one or two. Or if you live as long as me and Troy and Earl back there, maybe a dozen, two dozen, if you can somehow manage to invest the time But this is where we get disillusioned about friendship. This is where we give people a place at our table who shouldn't have a place there. Bill, I thought about all the people that I've had the privilege that was part of what you gave me when you allowed me to come and lead this congregation 16 years ago. The hundreds of people, over 500 people now that call MCC home every month. It's it's amazing. And the mistake that I've made is I've, viewed every one of those people as a, as a friend, right? And, and then when they get to that point in life where, where they don't like something that I've said or they become disillusioned and they leave, the pain that that has brought to me, the agony is maybe they didn't intend to, but, but I've allowed them to sit at my table, whether it was for a year or for 10 years, and, and to speak into my life, to criticize me, to correct me. Well, it's messed me up. At times, it's even caused me to doubt my calling, right? If they see me this way, I, I'm just no good. I have no place doing this. Please hear me. We have the potential to have many acquaintances, but we can only have one or two, maybe a few that we can truly call friends. And even then, friendships go through seasons that make things seem muddy at times. But let me define for you a friend. See, those that we call to be friends are the only ones who should be granted a seat at our table. Now, I'm serious about this, and I know you're gonna come up with arguments, and I'm gonna try to rebut those before you even tune me out here. But just stick with me. Friends that sit at your table are friends who understand who God has called you to be, and they encourage this, right? Some of you don't have that in your life. And you don't know how significant that is because you put people at your table who should barely be acquaintances, let alone friends, who are speaking everything else into your life. But the truth of who God created you to be. 
Friends are people we can be vulnerable with because they've proven themselves there for us no matter the season or the distance. And that doesn't happen in the first six months. It doesn't happen when they call you their BFF on Facebook. It doesn't happen sometimes for three or four years. Those of you who get disillusioned year three of your time at church, join the club. But you can't be here for an hour a week and expect to become best friends with everybody around you when you spend 40 hours a week other places. Friends are people who call you. Friends are people who return your calls. You got somebody not returning your calls or your texts, just write them off, forget about them. They're not worth your time. Friends, friends are intentional about praying for you. That's a real friend. Friends encourage you. They speak life into you. They don't drain you. They speak life into you. And the sooner we come to grips with this, the healthier we will be individually. And now's a good time to add this important definition. Those of you who are blessed to be married, those of you who are married right now, your best friend is to be the person that you're married to, not somebody else especially not somebody of the opposite sex. You guys who say, well, you know, my wife's okay, but, but I've got a friend at work who really understands me. You're way, way, way out of bounds. Way out of bounds. Ladies, the same way. Oh, I can be really good friends with this guy. There's nothing sexual there at all. There may not be in your mind, but I know every man, every man is wired to some extent that way. Those who are blessed to be single, right? Those of you who are blessed to be single, your best friend, that person that is right there at your table speaking truth into your life, they should be a person of the same sex. Guys with guys. Girls with girls. Unless, unless you have been friends long enough and both of you agree that you want to become more than friends. Because what? Your spouse is to be what? Your best friend. Romance is to follow friendship. You enter into a relationship full of romance thinking you're going to become friends. And what's Solomon say? It, those companions that come to ruin. And how many of us have experienced this? Solomon says, I've learned the hard way. Now, there are a lot of passages in the Bible that speak to relationships, but it's this one in James that I want us to spend the next 10 minutes looking at as we finish up, because James is the best at getting to the heart of this lessons learned. I, I love it because he's so direct speaking. I wish I could be that direct at times. I usually like to just skirt around issues, right? But James chapter four, verse one. James chapter four, verse one. He begins this discussion on relationships. <laughs> and he says, what is it? What causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks a rhetorical question. Why does relationship failure occur? Why do we often find ourselves disappointed and disillusioned in our 
relationship. And then he goes on, don't they, these fights and quarrels, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? There's that word, desires, things that we seek, fulfillment that we want. Verse two, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Here's the first lesson. It's the single most important lesson of today. And that is a healthy relationship begins with a healthy me. And a healthy me is someone who understands God's plan, foundational plan for relationship. We've all heard the saying, right? Come just as you are. And we love that. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It makes everybody feel included and accepted, but it's true. That's how we enter into relationship with other people. We come just as we are with all the familial baggage, right? I mean, just think about your spouse right now. And think about the things from their upbringing that have either shaped them into a marvelous, marvelous spouse, or because their parents were such, such losers that they didn't point them to Christ. That, that they demonstrated for them what the world calls a relationship and what a challenge it has been to be on the same page. You see, we come to relationship with others with a history, with experience from our familial relationships, healthy and unhealthy. And we have relational needs, right? We were created in the image of a relational God. So we have needs, both realistic, but also unrealistic that we are seeking to have satisfied in our life. We have these needs, but what we do is we skip right to friendships. And, and that's my whole point in defining the distinction between the two. We wanna call everybody our friend, why? Because we want them to fulfill a need in our lives. But here's the problem. God is to be my source of fulfillment. And you say, well, yeah, that's the preacher answer. Well, long before I was a preacher, I was a man, a man with needs, a man seeking relationship, a man who struggled to be alone, even though I was a loner, a man who had urges and, and desires. Thank God I still have them. They're just focused more. But God's to be my source of fulfillment. He designed us that way. Now, I want you to think about this season of life that you're in right now. So, some of you that are young like Luke up here and others of you that are, well, you're still alive. <laughs> but I, I, I want you to list, I want you to list, right, the fulfillment that you're looking for at this season of your, of your life. Uh, last night, I, I spoke to the students. Uh, I mean, they got a lot of needs, a lot of desires that they're seeking fulfillment for. D does your identity come from what others say about you? Validation? Are you always bouncing around, acting silly, trying to get others to notice you and like you? Companionship? You just don't like to be alone, so you need a friend? You need affirmation, you need love, you need trust, you need a listening ear. You see, they're the same needs, just on a different level than we have, that you have. 
that I have as adults, the need for companionship. You're wired that way. The need to have a friend, to have affirmation, to experience love, a listening ear, to have someone on this planet that you can trust when you can't trust anyone else. And we seek these things from others when all these things that are very realistic needs, all of these areas we seek fulfillment in, can only truly come from the one who created us. He made us that way. And we need to accept that reality. Our creator made us with a whole, with these needs and these desires, and he is the one who meets them. Now you say, oh, well, he's not my, he's not my lover. He, he can't meet that need. He's not physically right here with me. Well, well, listen to me. He meets that need through his word and through his ways. He uses us to come alongside others. And when you're filled with him, he can use you to let some of that that you've been filled with overflow, right? Into that other person to help validate him. But, but you do it in the right way. You don't do it seeking something in return. You do it because God has so filled you that you're able to fill them. And so we start building our list of acquaintances and these needs that we have that are very realistic all of a sudden become unrealistic when we put them on others and breakdown begins to occur. God's baseline for relational health in our lives includes this command. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He's not talking about egg yolks being mixed up. He's talking about a thing that I see right across the road at my neighbor's. Instead of getting a tractor out, he gets a team of horses out. And they're horses that are trained. They are horses that are both of very similar strength and makeup. And he takes this long bar that runs back to the plow and this bar that goes across the front with harnesses and he yokes them together. And at the same time he tells them to plow, he actually says plow and they plow. He says back up, they back up. It's amazing to watch. But they actually lean in and they plow together. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What's this mean? Very simply put, we're to be very much aware we're to be very much aware of the room in which we place ourselves. Who are the people you have surrounded yourself with? Just think of where you were last night. Think of where you go when you celebrate things. Think about where you go when you're lonely. Think about where you experience School. Think, think about where you work. Who are the people? What do their faces look like? 
What do their lives look like? Are they on the same path as you? Are, are they finding what you're looking for? Do they look like Christ or do they look like the rest of the world? Because the reality is, it's from this room and the people who occupy this room that we form acquaintances that one day eventually become that friend. They become that spouse, that person that sits at our table. James continues in verse 8. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you, right? Being near to God begins with being in the same room that God's in, right? And the same is true with all of our other relationships. Who is in the room matters. It matters. And right away we have our first rebuttal. But if I only hang around with Christians, how will I win anyone to Christ? So how do we reconcile the two? Because that's an age-old argument. I've made it myself a few times. First, don't confuse the two. We're talking about two different things. First, we're talking about relationship. The relationships that we choose. Second, that is discipleship. And discipleship does not begin with a friendship requirement. Where does it say when Jesus said, go into all the world teaching? Where does it say, go into all the world and make friends and then baptize them? Where does it say, go into all the world and, and help your friends obey the commands that I've given you? Nowhere. Now, can relationships play a role? Absolutely. But only first after you have aligned your life first with God's command for relationships in your life. You need to be surrounded. You need to have a table full of people who believe as you do to hold you accountable. You need to have a table full of people who believe as you do so that you can stay strong, so that you can go out, so that you can influence so that they can see, so that they can know. James says in verse 3, he goes on to talk about, about this fulfillment outside of God and, and his plan for fulfillment. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that, that you can spend what you get on your pleasure. Uh, how does this apply? Well, it applies very simply this way. You and I, we seek fulfillment. But we ask for the fulfillment to come in the form of a he or a she. We ask for that fulfillment to come in a, in a job or a promotion or a retirement. We're selfish. We want for us. And we know it doesn't work out. It never does. And just like Solomon, we find ruin. You see, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that phrase before. Petra even sang a song about it. 1 Peter 2.11 says, we are strangers, we're sojourners. We are aliens while we're here. I like to say we're the weird ones. We're the weird ones. Not weird like the world, right? We don't have to 
build a sexual preference outside of the box so that we can stand out. We don't have to, to uh, go with some fad identity that, that draws relationship to ourselves. That's not the kind of weird that we're to be. We're not to be these people that wear this huge gold cross on our chest and Jesus bumper stickers on our butts. It's not the kind of weird he's talking about. We're to be weird in the sense that we are confident in our identity in Christ. Not the clothes that we wear or don't wear, not the people we associate with, not the sound of our voice or our tendencies, the image we see in the mirror, the size of our waist or our bust line. Last night, nobody knew what a bust line was. Hope you guys do, because last night I had to tell them his boobies just to get them to understand. But, but you know what I'm talking about. It's not our IQ. It's not who's attached to our arm or how many followers we have on Facebook. We are not of the world because we are secure in the reality that we're chosen, that we are children of God, that we are purposed, that we are gifted for that purpose and powered by the very Spirit of God living inside of us. We are weird in the sense that Jesus Christ literally died for us. That's what makes us weird. And I tell you what, I love being weird like that. And I love being weird in that every one of my relationships today comes second to that one, to the reality that he is my one and only. And because he's my one and only, he has given me a plan that allowed me to come together with my wife, who is the closest earthly relationship that I have. She is my best and my most trusted friend. All 500 of you can turn against me, and I can go home at the end of the day happy to have myself in her arms. And in the safety of that net, James, four, James writes in verse 4, though, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You, you see, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Now, now, all of that sounds great. Maybe it's even inspiring to some of you who are loners like me. Well, I finally got a friend in Jesus. There's even a song about that, I think. But what about a few minutes from now? When you go back to work and your room all of a sudden is not like this room. When you're filled, the room's filled with, with people that aren't these things. So what happens when you go back to school after these weeks of fall break? What, 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 what about when you go back to your dysfunctional familial relationships at home? James says, wash your hands. Purify your heart. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Boy, that does not sound inspiring at all. Unless you understand what the image of hand washing is all about. It goes all the way back. Those of you who are, come from a church, I call them high churches, churches where there's a lot of liturgy, you know, things that you do ceremonially 
you might have a clue as to the significance of this. But, but back in the day, the tabernacle, the, the traveling tent where God would come and meet with his people long before Jesus, when they would go into that tent, all of the people, not just the priests, but all of the people were instructed to wash their hands. Not because of COVID, but because washing our hands signifies the purifying of our heart. Setting aside those relationships. Setting aside those things that we have used to fulfill those needs in our lives that can only be filled by God. And he, he, so he says, you, you adulterous people, and adul adultery, it, it, that sounds like a strong word. But what he's saying is, stop going back and forth. Stop during the week, stop trying to to make all your friends in this room. Just settle the deal. Align yourself, right? Don't be double-minded. In fact, you're gonna grieve. And your laughter, your joy is gonna seem gloomful because you need to say goodbye to the old way of doing relationship. And that's hard. I think one of the hardest, most humbling lessons learned is when we realize that a friend is just an acquaintance. An acquaintance shouldn't even be an acquaintance at all, but just someone that we met. You see, James summarizes this this way. He says, come home and let God take what is broken and make it new. Humble yourselves, verse 10 says, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will give you value. He will give you companionship. He will introduce you to people who are walking the same path that you are. He will bring that person to you that is to be your one and only while you're here. Question for you this weekend is, will you do it? Will you accept this lesson to be learned from Solomon, or will you continue to force it and have to learn it the hard way yourself, as I have and as many others in this room have? Will you simply say to God, you know, God, you're right. When was the last time you said that to him? Instead of, God, where are you, or why don't you do this my way? When was the last time that you said, God, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm sorry that I'm 70 years old and just now saying it. I'm sorry that I'm 19 years old and realizing that there's somebody else in this world besides me. But you're right. Your plan for relationship, I, I want to do things your way. You're the one who made this bucket of bolts. I, I'm grateful that you invited me to sit at your table. Help me to do better at choosing who I let sit at mine. That they'll speak life into me, the truth of your word, not the lies of the world. Lord, you know what's best. I accept you not only as my Savior, but as the Lord of my life, the one I look to for direction, the one I look to to have my needs fulfilled. 
And in that, you're the Lord of my relationship with others. I trust you. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, those are three hard words. I trust you. And Lord, this subject of relationships, what a cool thing that you have in your perfect plan created for us the relationship with one another, to have people that share the journey with us here, to have people that we will recognize in heaven one day, that we will continue in relationship with. But Father, all of us are guilty. I'm guilty, even of this week, of putting people at my table because I have a need that needs to be met. And I didn't come to you first to have that need met. Instead, I got what they gave me, which left me empty, left me questioning, confused sometimes, sometimes just, just sour. Lord, I know that there are many tables that feel like that right now. And there are others who, who really enjoy the table that they sit at. And to say goodbye to that, well, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some mourning. There's death that occurs with that. But Father, what you offer us on the other side is so worth it. You've proven your love for us. You've proven your promises. You'll never get up from that table and leave us. And so, Lord, may we cling to you this week. May the lesson that we learn be the lesson of Solomon, not the lesson of our own failed relationships. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we often look at that passage that Solomon gives us, that lesson learned, where he said, you know, a, fr uh, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That, that friend is, is Jesus Christ, right? He's our first stop for true relationship in our life. He's invited you to sit at his table. The way in is through baptism, the forgiveness of your sins, and then you have a seat. You have his presence with you. If you'd like to discover that today, if you'd like to experience that, then come as we sing.